Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 26, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, big show tonight. Uh, Coming up in about 20 minutes, we have congressional candidate from Georgia's 14th congressional district, Kevin Van Osdell. And uh, Kevin's going to come talk to us about his campaign and, um, you know, what he's running for. And then, of course, he's got um, some possible candidates that will be quite interesting um, that have been making some national news. So we're going to talk about kind of all that here just a little while on the podcast. But it, before that, you know, we got to give me topics and something that we thought we'd taken care of. And, of course, things like this happen. Um we had heard there was a short list of five vice presidential candidates, and we had, this was the final five. We went over all those five. Well, now we've heard that there could be a final two, and it doesn't include any of those five. Now, if I had to guess, I still think, for instance, Kamala Harris, uh, senator from California, is still on the list. Um, but anyway, these two new candidates – um, that are now supposedly the final two. One of them was told, it's you are so-and-so, and we're going to tell those two people. It's either California um, Representative Karen Bass or Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth. And so we've heard that those two candidates are now the top two. Um, so we're going to do a buy, sell, and hold on that. Um, but first, before we actually do the names, Catherine, um, what do you make of the fact that we had five names these two weren't in it. Now we've got two names, and we're saying that these two are now ahead of the other five. Uh, what do you think all this means? I think it just means that we're trying to draw attention to the to the election or to you know to uh, Joe Biden's uh, campaign, and this is one way to do it to you know announce five, and then oh, well we've reconsidered and we're going to add these two and I, I, I mean I, I think until we hear the name it could be anyone this is just sort of a um, I mean I hate to to dismiss it as a marketing trick but I think there's some just way of drawing attention and gaining people's comments and money and all those kind of things it's sort of a I mean I don't like to call it a trick because I think that they are serious contenders I don't deny that but I think the idea of making all these announcements and then shifting is not surprising because the country is shifting day by day you know there's all kinds of things going on so the requirements or the criteria for a vice president can change so I it's not surprising to me. Yeah, Tim, this in recent history, because typically the party out of power, their convention is in mid-July, not August. Um, this is, I believe, the latest event in recent history that a VP nominee has been announced. Could that be part of, you know, factor into this? I don't, I don't think so. I, th- I think uh, waiting. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't call it waiting, but having the calendar force us to make the announcement letters actually probably help Joe Biden. It's another thing he can do with a big splash uh, mm-hmm. to get a huge news cycle and maybe a two or three point bump in the polls right now as the president is staggering all over the block and dropping in the polls, which would be a good one-two punch. So, uh, you know, this this thing about 
it's this one, it's that one. We go through that every four years uh, when when somebody is picking their VP candidate. I, I I realistically believe that that you know we're getting toward the time that he's going to announce his pick, maybe as early as in a week. Uh, and and there's a, a a pool of twelve people that the media and and everybody else has been you know pointing to four or five and saying they're on the short list. And the only one that knows that is Joe Biden and three or four people in his campaign, and they've kept it a closely guarded secret. Um, and it, it could be any five out of this pool of, of 12. So that's where we are. Yeah, and it could be that he doesn't know because a lot of times when you have a good pool of candidates, so this comes for any job, not just vice president, you can change your mind because you see pros and cons of people. Um, it's when you have one clear-cut candidate and then really some bad candidates that it's you really know. So I, I, it could be that he's still weighing some options. But let's get into these two names. Uh, first of all, we'll talk about we'll go in alphabetical order by last name. Um, Karen Bask, uh, California uh, Congresswoman, um, Southern California. I'm not exactly sure which part of, I believe it's the LA area she represents. Um, Catherine, buy, sell, hold on Karen Bass. Hold. I, I just don't think she has very good name recognition. And uh, I, I, I think if he's going to go with California, he should go with Pamela Harris. Okay, Tim? I'm going to sell her. Uh, number one, one thing Catherine already said is if I'm picking somebody out of California, she's my second choice from California, not my first. And secondly, uh, I don't know if anybody realizes this, and I'm not kicking age. You know, I'm in this age bracket myself. She'll be 67, uh, oh, yeah. I believe, in October. I was hoping for somebody a little younger to balance things out a little bit, especially with Biden's age, the fact that he might serve one term or, you know, anything else that might happen. And we would want someone, you know, younger and also someone who would appeal to younger voters. And I just don't think Representative Bass is is quite quite there on checking that box, so I'll sell her. Yeah, I was going to say this. I, she kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I had seen her one time about a year ago on um, Bill Maher. I really you know, thought she was a very jovial person who she actually kind of reminded me of in her kind of happy warrior demeanor, demeanor was Joe Biden. Um, you know, even though he's a white man and she's a – woman of color, they both have that, you know, they probably wake up happier more days than they wake up sad. I mean, they just like life, and I, maybe that's why Joe Biden's drawn to her, although you wonder, do we need two people uh, with that demeanor? It, would that be a problem, although they would come about it from such different backgrounds, one being completely from the West Coast, one from the East Coast, um, one really not a long-time politician, or at least in the federal sense, a woman, a person of color. I mean, you know, totally different world perspectives, but still that same underlying personality type, um, seemingly. Now, I don't know either one of them personally, but that, that's just the, what I gather from seeing them um, in the media. Um, I do think her age is a bit of an issue. You probably do want somebody younger, although, you know, she's a decade younger than him, and She's younger than, say, Elizabeth Warren, which has been mentioned. So I won't, I won't say that that's uh, huge as, as my, if she was over 70. So I'll go ahead and buy her. I'll, be the, I'll do kind of like a soft buy just because she seems to have so much buzz around her. Um, and, of course, if once again, with a lot of these names and with her, if she's the pick, it won't bother me voting for the ticket. I mean, probably one of the few times that I was like, eh, was, um, you know, Joe Lieberman. Um Next name, Tammy Duckworth, uh, senator, junior senator from the state of Illinois, veteran, uh, I believe a disabled veteran. 
Um, and so, Tim, I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Buy, sell, hold. Well, I'm you. I'm gonna buy her. I've been thinking about her for a long time before her name was ever mentioned, especially when she gave uh, Donald Trump his nickname of Cadet Bonespurs, which I think to this day is the best nickname I've heard applied to him, uh, certainly the most meaningful. Uh, she checks most of the boxes. She She's a woman of color. She's a veteran. She is a wounded veteran. She's a U.S. senator, so she's got some experience, you know, on the national level. Uh, she is uh, very good on television. Um, she would be... Uh, She's in her 40s. She would be uh, a good complement um, to uh, send, uh, to the vice president. Uh, the The only thing, it does seem there is almost an avalanche of people now wanting uh, an African-American woman on the ticket. I can certainly see why. Um and I probably only have one candidate that I would prefer to have on the ticket than her, but I will certainly buy her. Okay, Catherine? Me too. I buy her. Uh, I think she's fierce. She's very um, eloquent. She um, stands her ground very well. I think she's, uh, as Tim said, I think she's a very good compliment to Joe Biden. I think she's very serious. Um, not in a negative way. I mean, I think she's very, um, very, very serious about the work and, uh, I, I buy her. I think she would be a really good running mate. I have all the same questions as Tim. I think there is a, um, groundswell of support for an African-American woman. And I, I, I'm like Tim, I think we have the same, uh, favorite in mind. Um, so yeah, I, I buy her. I would be happy to vote for her as the, the second on the ticket. Yes, um, I'm going to buy her too. Last time I talked a lot and then did my buy so hold. I'm going to do it straight away. Buy. Um, I, she she does check the box of being young. The fact that she is a disabled war veteran, she would be, bring military experience, which the rest of the people running don't. Um, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and Joe Biden, none of them have that, so that would be uh, another thing. Geographically, um, oh, she doesn't um, add anything since Illinois is pretty much, you know, one of those blue wall states. And so, uh, and, and same thing with Karen Bash, doesn't bring anything there. Um, recently, there was seemingly this dust up. They asked her, I believe it was on Jake Tapper's show on CNN, possibly John King, but it was uh, talking about monuments, and somebody said something about George Washington. And the way it was reported, you thought that she was yelling to take George Washington off the dollar bill and the quarter, and then you read the statement. She just basically said, if you want to look at anyone's name, you can look at them. So she wasn't really calling George Washington out in any way. It was totally overblown, and they act like that was going to be some big disqualifier. I think some people might then try to use that against her, even though there's really no there there, um, because she didn't say anything specifically at all about George Washington. Um, anyway, now one thing I want to ask y'all. Now y'all both mentioned, um, you know, wanting a that simple want to. Um, African-American woman, I noticed some polling recently, and Joe Biden is doing incredible, and honestly, if these numbers keep up and it's an election on the up and up, he can pick whoever he wants, um, but he's actually underperforming with Hispanic voters and doing just fine, if not better, with African-American voters. With that problem in the polling, and it's hard to say somebody that has leads as high as 15% has any polling, but looking that, uh, that uh, Latino support is lagging, Catherine, do you think he should pick or look to pick possibly a Hispanic candidate? And that's none of the names we've talked about to help with um, support in a lot of those trending swing states like Texas, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico – Keep Florida, keep naming them. Um, I, I don't think he should 
I think the most important thing for him in this pick is someone that he can work with closely, who he trusts, and who understands what he's about. And if that person is is a black American or a Asian American or a, a Latinx American, whatever, or a white American, then I think he has to has to make that the most important thing. I don't think. Uh, I mean, you you could say okay if he picks a, a Latinx American, then some of his black support might might diminish. So I think that playing those uh, odds are dangerous. Tim, same question. I mean, I guess I forwarded y'all the poll or the well, citation in the poll yeah. that his Hispanic support is not uh, even as strong as Hillary Clinton's was in um, yeah. 2016, although it may be some undecideds at this point, not higher Trump support. Uh, well, there's there's been one name on the list, you know, uh, the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Lujan Grisham, I believe is her name. Um, she is a very attractive candidate, uh, very good on television. Um, she's very passionate. Um, but, but again, let's, let's go with your geographical thing. She won't add nothing to the ticket geographically no. because he's going to win New Mexico in large fashion. Uh, I really would not be that concerned about that right now. When we talk about he's not doing as well among Hispanic voters as, as some other candidates, he's still 30-plus points ahead with them, which which is – you know, pretty good. Uh, no, I, I, I really do believe there's such a groundswell of people wanting an African-American woman. I, I, that's, that's, that's exactly who I'd pick. And plus, my personal favorite happens to be one. So, um, no, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, it's just something interesting, and I guess if you're, you know, they say if you if you're going good but you still don't reassess for weaknesses, it can be an issue. Let me ask y'all this: uh, a kind of related but different question. What in the world could Hispanic voters see in the Trump administration and keep them undecided? And I know there are some Hispanic voters that have been here a while and just. Deportation is just not a threat, and maybe they're able to vote on other issues, which is a good thing for people to then move up the hierarchy of political needs. Um, but what, do, Catherine, what do you think? I mean, why would a, a voter be on the fence after seeing some of the things? Or maybe you said Clinton 2016 and now thinking Trump 2020. Well, I think it's really important to re- remember that um, for American citizens of Latino and Hispanic background, immigration is not that important to them. Um, I mean, it might be for for their families or something, but they're as concerned about economics and some of the social issues and um, environment and all those kind of things as, uh, you know, they don't vote in a block about immigration. Um, I remember back in 2012, I think, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's Hispanic, and she said her mother, who's a, you know, she was a third-generation American, even though she, she was Hispanic. She said, my mother is so sick of people talking to her about immigration. She doesn't care about it. So I think it's important to remember that they don't all, that like black Americans and like Catholic Americans and like white Americans, we don't all vote in a block like we all vote the same. And uh, so I think it's a, it's dangerous to assume that they're all going to agree on immigration or anything else. And I think there are, a, 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 there is a group of Hispanics that are um, more conservative. And so they, they lean Republican. So, 
Yeah, um, and we'll get back into that down the road at some other juncture. But right now, I want to welcome on our guest to the Kudzu Vine, congressional candidate from Georgia's 14th District, Kevin Van Osdell. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to have you on the Kudzu Vine. Well, um, Kevin, just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about um, your background and, and kind of what you bring to the ballot. Sure. I, well, I'm very community focused and that really started back when I was 14 when I got my first job working summers for our local street department. And so I learned a lot about how we can take our time and make our community a better place. But also I learned a lot about how local governments work and that really sparked an interest. So before I graduated from high school, I went ahead and was a page for the state Senate and the house. And I was just so in awe of the buildings and had this dream that someday I'd be a legislator. But my family is not a wealthy family. We don't have any political power. So I thought that dream would just never happen. And so from there, I just kind of worked really hard trying to find my way. Spent many years in poverty and struggling, and a lot of those in northwest Georgia. My wife and myself, we moved here in the district about 10 years ago as she was born and raised in the area. And so after we went back to school, we we got our feet on the ground and started doing really well. Started wanting to look for ways I could give back to this community I've grown to love. I became a poll worker, got involved with the local party. And then when I saw Tom Graves was retiring, it made me remember that childhood dream that I thought was impossible. And so I decided, you know what, this is a great opportunity for us in this district to have someone that really cares about the people and wants to represent them. And so that's what made me join the race. Yes. Well, um, you kind of alluded to it, but um, so Tom Grazer resigning or or announcing he was not going to seek re-election was a part of the reason. Um, Tell us more about your reason for seeking this office. Yeah, I I know I do a really good job. I've got nearly 20 years in client and customer management, so I've dealt with a lot of difficult people, and we all know there's a lot of those in our current Congress. And I'm tired of the the fighting in Congress. Never in my life have I been able to tell my boss who I do or do not want to work with. I have to work with whoever comes to me with issues and find resolutions. And our Congress needs to do that, and that's what I want to return to our government. Yes. Now, you've gone, you've gone ahead and you've secured the Democratic nomination back when um, – it's hard to say when we voted because I mailed in my ballots because of the pandemic, but I believe it was in uh, late June is when we had our primary date. But you became the Democratic nominee. The Republican nominee is yet to be decided. They had a whole bunch of candidates. They've narrowed it down to two. One which has made the news a lot, and Catherine's going to ask a lot of questions about that candidate, but just in case John Cowan somehow um, you know, overtakes um, the top vote getter in the Republican primary and he becomes the candidate, he's not as um, – I'm looking for the right – controversial. He, he doesn't make as many headlines and whatnot to fundraise against and – do press releases against, how would that shape your campaign if you face off against John Cowan? I don't think it would at all. We're focused on working for the people in this district, and we're focused on what we bring, I bring, to the position. It's less about, you know, whether it's Cowan or Miss Taylor. It, it's about me. Yes. Well, um, I'm going to pass this thing over to Tim, and then he'll pass it to Catherine. Tim? Good evening, Kevin. Thank you for being on with us tonight. You're welcome. Um, If you get elected, you get to Congress. Everybody has legislative priorities. What is the first piece of legislation that you would like to get past when you get to Congress?
Americans. Oh, okay. Oh, looks like I was muted there. Yeah, go back ahead. Something happened there on the board. Go back ahead. I apologize. No worries. You know, there's so many issues in our country, so many issues left unaddressed that there's a lot of things we can work on. But my most important goal is to ensure every American has health care. You know, for far too long, so many Americans are dying or going bankrupt just trying to get the health care they deserve. And this mm-hmm. pandemic has shown us even more that we need to make sure people are covered so they can reach their dreams and their goals and take care of their family. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are dying. Uh, plenty of them are getting huge medical bills that they can't afford. And a lot of people are now out of work. And so they've lost their insurance. And this just is not right. We need to mm-hmm. work with the party and across lines when needed to get real reform to health care and ensure that every American access the care they deserve. Now, now, when you talk about access to health care, uh, you know, there's a couple of ideas competing in the Democratic Party. One is to keep and expand the Affordable Care Act, and the other one is to, you know, shoot the moon, go all the way, and go for something like Medicare for all. What would you like to see happen? I am very open-minded, as I know there are plenty of viable solutions to this problem. Mm-hmm. My preference is a single-payer system, so we don't have to deal with a bunch of confusing systems like Medicare, Medicaid, public option, private option. It gets really messy after a while. But mm-hmm. I, while I prefer single-payer, I would vote and support a public option that guarantees every American has health care. Excellent. Um, you have said that we should remove the contribution cap on Social Security. Now, many Republicans would say that doing that amounts to no more than a tax increase. Are they wrong about that? And if they are, why? They are wrong on one point, that it amounts to nothing more than a, than a tax increase. It is a tax mm-hmm. increase. It's a tax uh-huh. increase on the wealthiest in this country that are doing the best, the wealthiest in this country that have no trouble saving in a 401k, yet those that aren't able to save for a 401k, so many of them are left living in poverty not prepared for retire or can't retire if they have have the desire or the medical need to. So Mm -hmm. I do want to remove that contribution cap. It's silly to begin with because no other taxes I know about just stop being charged to your paycheck after you've paid so much in, or I should say you've made so much money. So if we remove that cap, we can make sure we have social security for many generations to come. We can increased benefits, and we can even look towards options in reducing the retirement age. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin, obviously, nobody saw it coming, of course, a few months ago, but now we're in a situation where the COVID-19 virus is obviously the overriding uh, issue, story, crisis, whatever you want to call it, in this country. And it's going to be that way for quite a while. Um, still, it will probably be going strong when you arrive in Congress in January. Obviously, a lot of mistakes have been made at the top of our government in Washington. What should the government do to attack this virus? You're very right. There is, There have been a lot of mistakes, and our government needs to do more. We first need to coordinate very well among states. The, the federal government is barely doing anything and letting states figure it out themselves, and that's not a good plan. So we need to coordinate at the federal level, but we also need, need to make sure American families are taken care of. They are the backbone of our economy, and if they struggle, our economy struggles 
and we can't afford that. We owe it to them, and we owe it to our country. Um, one more policy question, and then I'm going to send it over to Catherine, who will be talking to you, I'm sure, about other candidates, as well as the inner workings of your campaign. She's kind of our campaign's expert on here. Um, but but you talk a lot about the minimum wage. Well, if the minimum wage is not high enough, what should the minimum wage be? What should a living wage look like in this country? Yes, it is a very important issue. When the minimum wage was signed into law by FDR, it was meant to end sweatshops in America and ensure every job that is a full-time job is a living wage. And that needs to be our goal. That is my goal. And looking at the numbers, if we adjusted for inflation, living a minimum wage would be so much higher. Potentially $20 by 2030 would be a good goal I see in mind. It gives us plenty of time to scale up and make sure that it's a living wage. So everyone in Georgia that's working full-time can afford to take care of their family. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any um, um, anything to what the other side always says when they say, well, if you raise the minimum wage, we're going to have to lay all these people off. That That really isn't historically accurate, is it? It's not. We can look at when California raised their minimum wage not too long ago, when we raised the minimum wage last time, even the U.K. All of that information and research we received from those real-life cases where the minimum wage was raised, that didn't happen. There are changes to the economy, and I don't want us to get in the micro or the macroeconomics because it gets really heavy and thick at that point. But you're right. It it doesn't happen. The economy as a whole does not see drastic job loss. And in many sectors, jobs increase as well as efficiency. Uh, Thank you, sir. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We really appreciate having candidates on. I wanted to ask, I, I'm going to ask you about your your potential opponents, primarily the one who's been getting a lot of attention and how you, if you uh, end up running against Marjorie Taylor Greene, how that campaign, how you would run that campaign and what you think about some of the outlandish and, uh, frankly, scary uh things that she stands for and how can you, um, I mean, I know you said you're going to, your campaign is going to be about you and I really, really appreciate that. I think it's really important for candidates to stand up for their own campaign, but let's be honest, there's going to be, there's going to have to be some back and forth between you and whoever your opponent is. And how do you, how do you expect to handle that? Especially if it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, it's an important question. I appreciate you asking. In terms of what she says and believes, it's very divisive, and it doesn't represent our values in Northwest Georgia. And I want us to get past that kind of rhetoric and politics. We need to be focused on doing the job and how we're going to do it, not knocking each other down so we can feel better about ourselves. So in terms of campaign strategy, whether it's Cowan or Marjorie Taylor Greene, honestly, it doesn't matter. We're going to be trying and working to bring civility back to politics and focusing on on what I bring to Washington with me, my values, my beliefs, and how hard I will be working for everyone. That's great. I I, I commend you. And how is the campaign going? Tim forwarded us the new ad that you, the tel- the radio ad that you have running. So you must have some uh, ability to do some persuasion. How's the campaign going? Do you have a lot of volunteers? Do you have, what, what kind, do you have staff? How, how is it going with, um, are you working in uh, with the state party? So how's the sort of overview of your campaign going? It's actually going great. It was off to a slow start as, 
I wanted to make sure I picked the right staff because they are key. And so not too long ago, did pick up my campaign manager. Now I've picked up my communication director, and they have been amazing and hard at work helping us get this campaign really going. Things have really kicked off. Now that I'm not having to do all the work myself, I've been able to focus on on being the candidate, reaching people. We did just start collecting volunteers for a volunteer list, so I do recommend anyone interested to contact me. You can email me at contact at kevinvanallstall.com. You can even reach us on Facebook. That's Kevin for Congress 2020 on Facebook. Reach out to us. We need all the help we can get. We're really working to make this a grassroots movement so we can make sure our values are brought to Washington. I've heard you say a couple of times, I heard it in the um, ad, and you've said it a couple of times, that you want to stand up for the values of Northwest Georgia. So what what and it's just you know are, what are those sort of top three values that you uh, believe are really important to your constituent potential constituents? Yeah, I think most of all, respecting others. We don't see it a lot because there is quite a bit of divisiveness, but there's also helping each other. Religion is very important to us in this district, and my core Christian values comes down to helping each other. That's what our Lord was all about, and that's what we need to do and focus on. Okay. And then you did mention health care, and I think that, yep. you know. And that really ties important. into it. it and it with does. so much very of our, well. I'm sorry. With so much of our no, district rural as well, we need to focus on that and playing that to our strength and making sure we have a strong community that people are proud and living in and not just, unable to find work and opportunity. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to pass it back to David. I think he may have a couple more questions. Thank you. Yes, well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Let me just kind of close off. It's a little bit of a question because you've got to answer it, but it's probably one you'll like. Um, if someone's heard you tonight and they want to find out more about you, tell some folks how they can reach you. Uh, particularly on the Internet and social media, and then also how they can donate to your campaign? Great questions, and I'm happy to answer. My Facebook is uh, Kevin for Congress 2020. That's a great way to reach us. I also have the email account at contact at com. My website, com. My donation page is on my website. It's all through XBlue, so I'm on there. And those are the ways that we would love people to reach us to help us out, volunteering and donating and spreading the word. Yeah, well, excellent. We'll be kind of watching the campaign, seeing it how it develops over the next few months, and good luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, that was Kevin Van Osdell um, from Georgia's 14th District. I mean, obviously, it's a good race even if the opponent um, were to be John Cowan, but if it's the prolific um, newsmaker Marjorie Taylor Greene, then um, it becomes a whole other type of campaign, and I think Kevin will get a lot of national attention um, at that point. Um and we'll get some fundraising. People will hit that link um, mm-hmm. just because to show they don't stand with what she stands for or against, however you want to say it. Um, well, Tim, if, in case you just want to say anything, because if folks don't know, you're the 14th Congressional Chair of Georgia. Did you have anything you wanted to add before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, I like to get – rid of somebody as soon as possible. The sooner Marjorie Taylor Greene gets beaten, uh, the happier I'm going to be. And you're right, David. It is true that if she is the eventual Republican nominee, that the national media is probably going to set up camp here and and watch this as a matter of, of, of curiosity because of the absolutely outlandish stuff that she says uh, that she advocates, that she stands for. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it 
folks, you uh, you just heard a, a voice of reason uh, that we just interviewed. So re- remember that when it's time to donate, to volunteer, to stand up uh, in opposition to somebody like her. Yes, I remember back in 2006, I was um, doing the uh, Internet strategy for a lieutenant governor campaign. That campaign actually went to a runoff on the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, the campaign was able to fundraise against the possibility of Ralph Reed being the nominee uh, for lieutenant governor. When Casey Cagle mm-hmm. uh, beat him for that nomination um, – that changed the fundraising dynamics. People outside of the state of Georgia could not give two craps about the lieutenant governor's race at that point um, when, when there was no threat of Ralph Reed. So um, that, that's just mm-hmm. the, you know, the truth of the matter there, um, Marjorie Green, and, and what she brings to the race, if you will. Um, well, let's go ahead. I'm sure we'll discuss that race more in future weeks. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to another topic. We were kind of talking about when the Democratic Convention will be, as a, to talk about when the VP will be named. But the Republican uh, Convention made news this past week. They had pulled things out, or Donald Trump wanted to pull everything out of Charlotte. They were like the Hornets in the 90s. Uh, they didn't pack up for New Orleans, but they packed up for a coastal city, and they wanted to uh, move everything to Jacksonville kind of jilt the city of uh, Charlotte, although pulling Charlotte may not have been too torn up. Um, but now the city of Jacksonville says we are not open for business. COVID-19 is so much worse than we feared. Um, can't come here. And so now it looks like they're going to pack back up and go to Charlotte. And it's hard to imagine that they still have, a, you know, hotel rooms full of people and they fill the um, arena, which the um, – uh, not the Bobcats anymore. I guess it is, once again, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that team plays in. I just don't see that happening. I don't see them going to the Panther Stadium. Uh, Catherine, what do you make of the week in Republican congr- uh, <laughs> convention politics? What a mess. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to think. So I, I, I have to admit, I haven't been following. There's been a lot of news about a lot of other things, what with Congressman Lewis and everything. So I, I admit I haven't been paying as much attention, but did I hear that Trump is, the president is going to speak from D.C., or is he actually going to be in Charlotte? I don't know that's 100% decided uh, if he'll go to Charlotte, because, of course, he's mad at the governor, he's mad at the mayor, um, and he knows he can't have a big event, and so if there are no people that that kind of loses the thrill for him. Um, but they want to have a business convention, if you will, in Charlotte. That's the main part they're talking about. Tim, do you know any more? Well, uh, Trump had alluded to the fact that um, the acceptance speech might be virtual. Um, and, and, you know, of course, he said, oh, we'll still be doing some great things in Charlotte and this and that and the other. Um, but they're saying now that they're going to try to do the nominating process and, and all of that and the public part of it in like half a day. And the truth of the matter is, thanks to Trump, uh Changing this, changing that, the Republican National Committee has already wasted multiple millions of dollars in donated money. Uh, all the money for the convention is donated by big donors. And they they, just, they, they shot down in Duval County in Jacksonville, like $6 million. Just open the window and throw it out for nothing. Uh <laughs> And, and, and you, you know, it takes a lot of time to plan for these things. Oh, yeah, um, it's like a big job. Yeah, and, and, and so every time Trump changes his mind and turns on a dime, they've got to start over again and try to figure out what to do. The, Demo- the Democrats have been plan- planning this for months and months and months and months and months. 
uh, to do what Trump is just now deciding the Republicans are probably going to have to do. They're not sure what they're going to have to do. How are they going to get all those delegates into Charlotte together to do anything? I mean, how how are they going to do it? There's too many of them. They can't get them together in one place. About a fourth of them just don't want to come, and I don't blame them. So what are what they they're they're not sure what they're going to do. But boy, they're running out of time to figure out what they're going to do. I'd say they got three three maybe four weeks at the most, and they got to get going. Good luck. Yeah, and, t- and talking about the business meeting, that's the stuff that happens at the convention hall at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And if you want a, yeah. a nice, peaceful, calm place to read a book, go to a political convention at the hall about 2 o'clock in the afternoon because nobody comes. They they yeah. spend this money, and, I mean, we're talking probably you know thousands of dollars. Because you can't just, you know, go on hot wire and, you know, go bargain basement. You got to stay at the preferred hotels, and you got to do this and that, and you fly because you got to, you know, of course, if you're coming for across the country, all these different things. So even if you had no fear of COVID-19, what are you going to get for your money? Watching Donald Trump and Mike Pence on a TV screen? You can do that from home. So therefore, people mm-hmm. might be saying, well, I don't want to run. I don't want to serve because this sounds like a loser. I'll take this one off. And I'll come back in 2024 when we can go to the real thing. Um, what? You know, and of course, people are so flush with cash, you know, I guess they don't care. Like, you know, they waste it like Donald Trump wasted it in Jacksonville. Um, but, Catherine, Jacksonville is a city, a swing city in a swing state. Do you think this may be the whole fact that, A, they were going to come and just throw caution to the wind, and, B, they now pull out and just jerk Jacksonville around? Do you think that this actually hurts him among some voters in the metro Jacksonville area? Oh, I think it might hurt him in in Florida. I absolutely do. I think that was one of the reasons that he selected Jacksonville because it's Florida. And then to do this about face, I think, um, I think it could, it could further lower his uh, appeal in Florida because they're really hurting right now as far as, you know, commerce and um, tourism. And this would have been a big boost for them. I'm not saying it was a good idea, but it would have been a a, a, a nice little bump for Jacksonville and for Florida in general. And uh, I can see how some people might be uh, who are maybe on the fence or, you know, wishy-washy on Trump that this could set them off. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, and Catherine, earlier you were talking about so much news to follow. I need to send you a video of my dog, Ace. If you get the water hose out and just spray it, he'll try to catch every drop. It doesn't matter how much splashes in his face and it hurts. That's how you got to follow the news these days. It's like drinking from a fire hose. So you gotta, we got to train you up so you can consume uh, – Eighty-six <laughs> hours of news in a twenty-four-hour day. Um, Except I, I also have to work. So. <laughs> oh, jobs, mob! Come on, you gotta, you gotta prioritize. It's just money, Catherine. <laughs> just rent. Well, um, Tim, same question. Do you think this hurts him with Florida voters, particularly in that Jacksonville area? He had a meeting uh, a couple weeks ago with his new campaign uh, manager. And his chief of staff met us, and 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 they 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 just laid the law down to him. I think I know they told him he had to get out there, and and get public again on this virus and change his mind about some things on it. And he apparently is well pretending to try, or pretending to act like he cares about it. But you know. They, they they finally, I think, got across to him, you know what, these polls ain't lying. You're in trouble. And a couple of polls out of Florida that, that have been there for a little while, about two-thirds of voters in Florida said it would be unsafe for the Republicans to meet in Jacksonville. Twenty-six percent of Republicans say it would be unsafe for Republicans 
to meet in Jacksonville when 26% of Republicans are opposing you and you are the Republican president, that is not a good place to be on an issue. Trump had to get out of Jacksonville. Plus, the sheriff of Duval County said, we can't even provide security. We, we can't promise you security, not with this virus, not with everything that's going on. It would have just been a debacle, uh, even worse than the debacle that they're having. But once again, where it really hurts him with voters, it shows the chaotic nature of his administration. They just can't do anything in a normal fashion. They cannot meet a crisis head on and tackle it and get something done about it. it. It lends credence to the story that here's a fella that just simply does not know from one day to the next what he's doing. And of course it hurt uh, for them to be doing this. And the people in North Carolina, the people in Charlotte, uh, they're, they're, they're no happier, I don't think. To see to see Trump and them coming back than they were to see him go. So there was nothing good happened about this, even though they tried to put a positive spin on it. The head of the Florida GOP said, "Oh, uh, this shows how selfless our president is and how he's thinking of the safety of the." Then nobody believed that nonsense. No, nobody yeah. believes that. So there we are. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so hard to know how to campaign in this environment. Uh, let's kind of segue into something that this past week Joe Biden did, and I watched you know decent chunks of it, but it was called a socially distanced conversation with Joe Biden and Barack Obama. And, you know, I thought the visuals on that were so good and the underlying messages that got sent – uh, besides just the content of what they said, um, Catherine, did you see it? And what were your thoughts about that? Uh, I guess it was mainly for social media event. I did not see it. <laughs> okay, okay uh, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I did see it. Um, oh, well, you were right. It was very well done. The way they set it up, the way they did everything. The, the setting down, the, the back and forth, and, and it reminded people, you know what, folks, this is what normal looks like. Normal is what you need now. A steady hand is what you need now. We have provided that for you before and recently, and we'll again, everything about this, it's just terrific. And how many commercials are the Democrats going to be able to cut out of that one thing? You know, it's it's just wonderful. And how could Trump and them where, – where, where is their weak place to even attack that, David? I didn't see it. Did you? Yeah, and that's what I think that that is so good about it. There were several things. One, it was the socially distanced. When they each got out of the car, mm-hmm. they got out of separate cars. They were both wearing masks. They came in and mm-hmm. they sat in this office environment. They were so far apart that they were safe, but they could have this conversation. There was the big mm-hmm. American flag in the background, which I guess sent the subliminal Ameri- uh, message. You know, of course, all the Tucker Carlson's and Trump campaign of the world. You know, all Democrats hate America, and they got this big giant flag as the two uh, vice president and president talk. Um, there were several more things in there. One, uh, another thing, they love to attack Joe Biden's uh, supposed cognitive deficiencies. When he spoke, he was right back and forth with Barack Obama, a man in his 50s. They were step-for-step talking, bringing up points with Mm -hmm. each other. If you want to claim that that Joe Biden has some type of cognitive impairment, then you've got to uh, claim that Barack Obama does. And neither one are believable. 
So it just completely obliterated that. And this comes at the same time where all Donald Trump can do is run around every Fox show and talk about how he can point out an elephant and he can draw a box and he can count backwards from 10, which is what, what what's so bad is – when people legitimately have to take that test, it is so sad because they may actually be suffering through dementia. It appears that Donald mm-hmm. Trump is in no way suffering from dementia. Wonderful for him because I wish no ill will on a personal level to him or his family. <laughs> but there's no way Joe Biden is either. So that's not a talking point anymore. You can talk about mm-hmm. policy now. Quit talking about it. Nobody believes it. Only the hardest of hardcores that are going to vote for you no matter what are the only people that even buy that stupid argument. Another Mm -hmm. thing I did notice in that um, thing is Joe Biden went out of his way to say, Mr. President, Mr. President, I heard an African-American political consultant say one reason that Joe Biden does so well with African-American voters in the primary was because – they noticed that even though he was this white man that was so you know old and had been in politics, had been around um, and come of age either before or during the civil rights movement, he um, was so deferential to this younger African-American man and had no problem with it. He got to reinforce that as well. Um, there were just so many things, and what I'm kind of getting to in the last minute or two of the show is – are things like this going to be what you have to do instead of a convention speech? Because, of course, if you get in your basement, you get on your back porch, and you talk to the cameraman and your wife, and that's the only audience there is, is it just going to come off so flat that it's just not any good, and you have to do something creative instead of a convention speech? What do you think, Catherine? I absolutely agree with that. I think that. Um, this sounds like a really innovative way of reaching the people on that to watch it this week. Um, and those kind of um, new ideas are really important in this time. You know, we're all, you know, quarantined in some fashion and we're sort of, many of us are glued to our TVs or glued to our computers. And so having these, uh, kind of um, interactions with the candidates are really important. And uh, the more clever and new they can appear, the better. And it sounds like they they did a really good job on this. I'm looking forward to watching Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Tim, different question about the same topic. This did a good job getting people on social media. They put, they bought Twitter ads around it. I'm sure they bought Facebook ads around it and got people to tune in or see bits and pieces. How do they do things like this and pierce the old media filter where they can get on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and the regular uh, Network 3 newscast? Well, they've already managed to do that with this with this particular project. I don't know who the media people are that put this together, but, man, they did a magnificent job. It's the best thing I've seen this year in this entire campaign, bar none. And I have seen cuts from this thing on CNN. I've seen cuts from it on MSNBC. I've seen uh, some of it on the, 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 the networks. The talking head shows uh, it, it's out there and it's being talked about. And 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 why would it not be talked about as well as it was put together? And the fact that we had one of our recent star of stars to co-star in it, you know, uh, the former president with with Joe Biden, it, it was just it was just terrific. I, I, I it would be hard to top this one, don't you think, David? Yes, but he'll have to because he's got a lot of time, um, unless he can figure out some way. Maybe what they can do is they can do issue-specific ones. We're going to do foreign policy. We're going to do the economy. I mean, they did a lot of economy. We're going to do health care, um, break it out even more, and do so, you right. know, so often. And they can, of course, they could tape like three in a day and just release them um, in pieces. Well, again, thanks to um, congressional candidate Kevin uh Van Edstel or Osdell, and then uh, next week we've got our guests lined up. J- David Jonas, author of so many 
uh, incredible pieces that are exclusive to Political Wire. David's going to join us and talk about the more, more recent ones he's done. I know he's done one on Texas in particular since the last time we've had him on, so we're looking forward to that. But until then, been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, Good night guys. Not right. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for?